Father, we look to you alone who is holy. You alone are the rock of our salvation. You are the cornerstone on which we stand. Your church was built, and we look to you to meet with us this morning through your word. Father, we, we are unable to change our own hearts. We are unable to have confidence in our flesh, in our repentance, in our faith. So we look to you alone, Father, and that's, that's why we sing songs of deliverance like these, how deep the Father's love, you alone are a rock and you alone are holy. God, we, we long for you to change our minds, to unstop our ears, and to loosen our tongues to tell about you, to confess of you like Peter did. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Father, we confess that even as Samantha read for us this morning, God, we do not always treat the outsider like we should, not in our minds, not in our actions, and we confess and ask you to forgive us, O oh God, for this. For you are holy. You love the outsider. You love the foreigner. You love the widow. You love the orphan. God, even as we look into your word this morning, as we see Jesus going after those who are, who are not Jewish people, who are not in the, the, the chosen people of God, we see your mission expanding. And we want your mission to expand in our hearts as well as we go after others in our city who are not like us, go after others in our country as we send missionaries out. So we ask you, O oh God, to raise up missionaries that will go to foreign lands and tell people about the gospel who have never heard it before. God, we, we ask in faith, knowing, knowing that you do whatever you please, and, and in fact, your heart for, the, for the, those that aren't like us is greater than ours. So we pray that you would raise up among us people that want to be on mission with you and take the gospel to foreign lands. And we pray that it wouldn't, it wouldn't wait until we get to foreign lands, but it'd start here. Give us opportunities and boldness with the gospel, we pray. God, we ask that as you do this, many people would be brought into your family and redound to your glory, and we would remember your promises that we haven't given up anything. If you give up father or mother, you don't give up anything. I will restore it to you a hundred times, you've told your disciples. We believe you're doing that through the church, and in the end, as we worship with millions of millions and thousands of thousands and myriads of myriads, singing, worthy is the Lamb. And so we look to you to do all of these things. Father, we don't only pray for ourselves, we also pray for our brothers and sisters at Selwood Baptist Church in Portland. Pray for Jeff Lacine as he preaches this morning that the gospel would go forth, your people would be encouraged, you would be glorified, and sinners would be brought to repentance. God, we do ask as they're looking for an associate pastor, you'd give them wisdom and finances. We pray as they seek to obey your command to gather together. You give them wisdom as they gather in the COVID times and, and what that looks like and how they should do it. God, give them unity as they do this. God, and as their pastor has asked, would you make them satisfied in Christ alone as the most beautiful, as the most believable one? 
God, we also pray for Aaron Adami and Canby Christian Church. We pray that you'd give them unity as they are offering kids' classes again and coming back together. And God, help them to be <clears throat> healthy and safe, and we pray that your gospel would go out. God, we also pray for our parachurch ministries that are connected to us. We pray for the navigators and young life. And we think of those that are among us that are working to do evangelism and discipleship on the campus and with college students around Corvallis. God, we ask that you would help them, God, to be focused on the gospel. Help them as they're discipling to uh, you would create real relationships among the college students and, and that they would really respond to you in repentance and faith and, and that they would be discipled to, to join uh, local churches in the area and as they go home to be, to be members and real parts of these things. So we pray that you'd help the Rosses and the Jims and the McDonald's and Victoria and, and all of those who are involved in these campus ministries to, God, give them strength and boldness, and courage, God, as they're pressing back against the darkness. And we pray that as we meet this morning, that you would answer our prayers, that you would indeed use your word to do its work among us. Father, break down the pride in our hearts. Father, lift up the weary among us. Father, of those among us who do not know you, give them a response to the gospel that looks like faith and repentance. And we will give you all the glory in Christ's name. Amen. So I don't know if you know it or not, but uh, this morning, many churches uh, celebrate Reformation Sunday. Uh, October 31st was first Reformation Day. It was the day... Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the, the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. And in most people's estimation, so started the Reformation. If you're not familiar with the Reformation or even Martin Luther or you've heard about him, um, I would encourage you to read a biography on him. And I just happen to have one with me this morning to recommend to you. It's called Here I Stand by Roland Baton. It's, it's kind of a classic. It's sort of the standard on Martin Luther. It's called Here I Stand, A Life of Martin Luther by Roland Baton. I recommend that to you highly. Um, there are other books as well on him uh, and the Reformation in general. Michael Reeves, uh, now I'm going to forget the title, of, of The Unquenchable Flame. And, and other such books. I, I just encourage you, if you want to know what the Reformation is about, uh, study, you know, read these books and study them. And uh, I think you will be encouraged and uplifted in your faith. You know, one of the, one of the cries of the Reformation was reformed. Now, that's a really popular tag today that I don't think everyone understands what they mean when they say that. But the, 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 the cry was reformed and always being reformed and always reforming according to the word of God. Being reformed by the word of God. You know, that, that tagline came out of the cries of the Reformation, starting with Martin Luther at the Diet of Worms as he, st he stands before a church council to answer about the 95 Theses and the things that he was 
purporting, such as justification by faith alone. As he read Romans, he said, I think this is what Paul is teaching, is justification by faith alone. I no longer have to sit in my cell and wonder how much I have to give up in order to earn God's favor. And he's answering this church council about this. And he stands before them and says, listen, my conscience is bound to the word of God. I can do no other. I have to preach and teach this. I can't do anything else. So help me God. At least that's reported of him saying that. Well, well that, sola scriptura, you know, my conscience is, 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 uh, is attached to the word of God. I can't do anything else. It's bound by it. The, out of that came justification by faith alone. Because justification by faith alone was, was, was something Paul taught in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Do you, you remember these verses? If, if you're a Christian, you may have memorized them before. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's, it's not your own doing. It's a gift of God. Both, of, both the grace and the faith are a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And this morning... I, I think, I, I hope I'm not crunching this passage into, uh, in, into these two categories, but I think these two stories in Mark chapter 7, if you're not there, you can turn there now, or you can scroll there in your, in your uh, digital device. Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 37, there are two stories here that I think, that actually I, I think exemplify this Reformation call of salvation being by faith alone, uh, by grace alone, through faith alone. That is, it's only by grace and the instrument is faith. Those are going to be our two points this morning. So the way of salvation is by grace through faith. This two-act drama of redemption. So act one is an extraordinary faith. And act two is an extraordinary grace. You remember, last week we talked about Jesus coming to the Pharisees, and he's, re, he's, he's reimagining for them what their religion could look like. And he's, he's actually confronting them with, with their understanding of what it means to be clean and unclean. And Jesus says, your cleanliness is a matter of the heart. You don't, you don't become unclean by brushing up against a Gentile or, or touching some unclean thing. Cleanliness is a matter of the heart. And he exposes all of our hearts, including the religious people of the day. He exposes all of our hearts as radically sinful. And if we're not careful, we'd be left without hope. Because all these sins come from, out, from within us, outside of us. And we are left utterly helpless. But, but Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on and he, he, not, he leaves the religious people and he, he makes a journey into the region of Tyre and Sidon. Let me read this for you. Mark 7, 24 through 30. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know that he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, 
Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. This is the word of the Lord. The story is simple to understand. Jesus' statement is hard to hear. And we're just going to, I'm just going to retell the story really quickly and then focus on Jesus' statement and this extraordinary faith that this woman displays. You know, uh, the, it's, it's obvious, right? The, women co- the woman comes, she's, the Bible says she's, she's not a Jew, she is a Syrophoenician. You know, Tyre and Sidon are on that little shore, which is Phoenicia, the, the eastern shore of the Mediterranean Sea, and uh, she's from that area. She's a Phoenician from Syria, and uh, she, has, she really has no business in the people of God, within the people of God. She's an outsider. Um, she doesn't belong, but she's desperate because her daughter has an unclean spirit, and what's she going to do? You can imagine, whether you have children or not, you can imagine, can't you? If, if your child, if, if you were this woman and this was your child tormented day after day, we don't know how the, old the daughter was, but clearly there was a, there was a torment going on here. And, and the woman could do nothing to cure her. We don't know what she tried. We know she was desperate enough to come to this traveling teacher named Jesus Christ. And she comes and she does something extraordinary. Did you notice it? She heard, she came and she fell at his feet. The last time someone fell at Jesus' feet was in chapter 5, I believe, verse 20, where Jairus comes. Now, this was a Jewish guy in charge of the synagogue. He came and fell at the Savior's feet as well. And here was a Jew and now a Gentile coming to Jesus, both insider and outsider, coming to Jesus as their only hope. And she falls down and she begins to beg Jesus. She begs him to cast the demon out of her little daughter. Here's a woman of extraordinary faith. Here's a a woman that sees that her only hope is for someone else to do something for her. Here's a woman who sees only Jesus Christ, this this one who is, is preaching the good news of the kingdom, is the only one that can do anything about this. Not the religious people, not, not the Jewish people, not the Pharisees, and, nor the scribes with their laws. None of them could do any of this, only this compassionate one who she had heard about could do anything. And she believed it. She believed both in the power of Jesus, that he had the power to do this, but also that he, he had the mercy and he would do this for her. And she comes to him. And she begs him. And the response is surprising, isn't it? Do you, ever, do you expect Jesus to talk this way to people? Did you notice what he said? Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. I don't know about you, uh, but I would have been offended. 
I know we love dogs in our culture. I have a dog. Our, our dog, we've had our dog for about nine months, eight months, and uh, we love the dog. She's a great dog. She, in fact, she sits under our table and gets fed by our kids. She, uh, uh, she gets watched by friends in this church, and they, I think she loves them more than us sometimes. I'm sure it's the other way around, that they love the dog more than us sometimes. <laughs> Just kidding, that's only a joke. So, but, but here it is, like Jesus is saying, basically, do- a dog was, w- was an offensive thing to be compared to. Jews called Gentiles dogs all the time. And people try to soften this verse and say, well, Jesus was referring to a pet dog or a little dog that was in the house with you. That's true. That's the word he uses. But does that lessen the offense? If I was to compare you to my dog, if I called you, you're just like my dog, Jovi, would that be an offense? Maybe. Other people have have looked at, uh, have tried to explain this hard statement away by saying, you know, you know, actually Jesus was, he just didn't understand and a feminist interpretation says this, wo- this woman helped him understand how he should view other people and women. Well, I don't think the text bears either of those things out. We don't know if Jesus was, was joking with her or if he was lighthearted or the look in her eye, his eye or the tone of his voice made it seem softer. He was saying what a Jew would say. Salvation through the Messiah must come to the Jews first and then go out to the Gentiles. You know, we're offended by this statement, I think, partly because of our modern sensibilities. Here's how one commentator put it. Mark is apparently oblivious to the problems in the story that so jar our sensitivities. We assume that Jesus is obligated to respond to every request and heal everyone. Our prejudice is that Gentiles are just as important as Jews, if not more so, because we know that most of the, the Gentile or the Jews will reject the Messiah, while many Gentiles will respond gladly. We are prone to de-Judaize Jesus and are, off, are offended by the particularity of God's election. We can expose our own biases by imagining a similar despised foe from our context as the petitioner. Jesus is deliberately scandalous, throwing stumbling blocks in people's way. He affronts the Pharisees by calling them hypocrites to their face and scoffing at their beloved tradition. And he insults the Gentile woman by hinting that she is a dog. One should allow the scandal to stand and emphasize that one must overcome the scandal before one can open the door for Jesus' help. I don't think we, we like to hear statements like that because we don't understand Jesus as he's presented in the Gospels and in the Bible. You know, sometimes we just view Jesus as, you know, he's the vending machine Jesus. I put my quarters in and out pops the Jesus that I want. Jesus is, is not someone to be trifled with. Jesus is Lord of all. We just sang it. Did we not? We just, we did. He's Lord of everything. And here we're confronted with the election of the, of the Jewish people over other peoples. And we know from the scripture that they were elected not because of anything good in them, but because God just chose to love them. And it's scandalous. 
Oh, you know, Paul picks up on this, though, in Romans 1.16. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is God's... I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for, for it is salvation to all those who believe, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, which is to say everyone else besides Jews. Do you notice what it doesn't say? It's only to the Jews, and, and everyone else has to be damned. The gospel is to the Jew first. So it came, there was a priority here. I don't know why. I don't know why God chose them, but he did. And they were, they were a, a picture of, of God's church, what it would be in the end. And so Jesus comes and he's, he's scandalous with this woman. So much so that you might take offense at his words. She certainly could have. But you notice how the woman responded. It's a response of extraordinary faith in verse 28. But she answered him, Yes, Lord. Yes, you're right. That's what she's saying. You're Lord. I'm not. You're right. I am a Gentile. I'll accept the dog status. But notice the eyes of faith, where it seems like the door is closing. The eyes of faith see the, a slight possibility in Jesus' words. Yet even the dogs, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Notice she's saying that even if I could just have a little bit of your mercy, just a little bit of your grace, just a, a tiny bit of it, just a crumb of it, it will be enough for me. I know you're merciful like that, Jesus. I know you are. The eyes of faith see into where there's a door closing. He sees beyond the scandal and says the scandal is actually something that's bringing grace to me. Because Jesus doesn't close it off, does he? He says, first, first to the Jews. That means there's an opening there. That means there's an opening for the outsider. Just like we read this morning already. Sam read for us that Jesus, God loves the outsider. He wants to bring them in. Jesus had power. She believed that Jesus had power and that he had a mercy still reserved for her. That's the kind of extraordinary faith God is after in our hearts. And her faith had three dimensions. These are my words, uh, there are probably better words to, to describe them, but this is what came to my mind as I was thinking through this. That her, her faith had three dimensions. First, it was humble. Do you notice that she didn't say, I'm not a dog, how dare you? She didn't say, hey, I've created my own identity and I'm going to follow, how dare you call me something like that? She says, I'm humble. You're right. I am what you say. I'm a Gentile. I'm a dog. I've been outside. I've been, I'm part of, I'm not part of the covenant community. So she humbles herself and she says exactly what she is. And this is what God expects of us when we come to him in faith and repentance. He says, you're a sinner. We must say, you're right. Yes, Lord. I'm a sinner. I have no hope without you. But her the second dimension of her faith is that it's not only humble, it's unrelenting. 
Did you notice that? As the door is closing, she puts her foot right in the door and says, no, I won't let you close it. And she talks to him and she reasons with him. It's unrelenting. She's going after it. Just, she's, it's not that he's Lord and that's the end of it. That's the end of the conversation. It's that he's Lord and he must be merciful. So I'm going after him. She doesn't stop asking. She doesn't stop knocking. She doesn't stop seeking. She keeps going and going and going. Friend, this is Christian friend. This is what God wants of you. This is how he wants your faith expressed in him. Are you tempted to stop asking, to stop seeking, stop knocking? Are you tempted to think there's not mercy reserved for you? That you've sinned too much or you're this kind of way so God can't save you or he can't continue saving you or he won't give you that one thing that you want. This woman is an example of humble, unrelenting faith. And notice, this, isn't, this faith isn't a leap in the dark, Right? She heard about Jesus. She knew who, she, who he was. She had heard what he could do. She believed him to be merciful enough for her. So the third dimension of her faith is that it's reasonable. She reasoned in her mind. I know he's saying this and it could be offensive that I'm a dog. And yet, did you notice that the, the reasonableness of her faith was that the door was open. Jesus wasn't closing her off. Jesus was leaving, open, leaving it open to the Gentile people, to the dogs, to the, all who would come to him. He would never cast out. And she reasoned that if he would do that for others, he could do it for her. In verse 29, Jesus goes on to reward her faith by healing her daughter. He says, for this statement, for this witty extraordinary display of faith. This statement, you may go, your daughter's healed. And we don't know if she became a true follower of Jesus or not. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is her faith about who Jesus was. Son of God, son of man. Act one in our drama of redemption comes to a close and we see... Uh, that salvation is by faith alone. By faith alone. That's the instrument God brings salvation to us. It's by faith alone and nothing else. It's through faith, but it's also by grace. So Act 2 opens up, and we see an extraordinary grace in the healing of this deaf and mute man. Let me read the passage for you. This is God's holy word. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Apatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened. His tongue was released. And he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure. Saying, he has done all things well. 
He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the word of the Lord. And Jesus, in this healing with two miracles, he is revealing something about himself, that he is Messiah, the Son of God, and the Son of Man. You know, Jesus makes this circuitous journey. He goes, um, he goes up to uh, Tyre, which is on the coast, then up to Sidon, then comes all the way around to the southeast portion of the Sea of Galilee, the Decapolis. You remember, we've been there before. It's where the, the man had the legion of demons was, and Jesus healed him as well. Well, he's back here again. And who knows, you know, the deaf man's friends may have seen Jesus cast the demons into the pigs. We don't know. But they definitely had heard about him again. They knew who he was. They knew what he could do. And so they bring their friend who was literally, his ears were plugged and his, his tongue was chained. It was bound. He had this impediment on his tongue that either resulted in, 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 a, in a speech impediment or he just couldn't speak at all. And his friends, having compassion on him, bring him to Jesus. And here's another inter- intercessory healing. that uh, These people are interceding for their, one for their friend and uh, before for the daughter. And they bring him in. And again, they beg Jesus. They, they, they prostrate themselves. They prostrate him. They they, they beg Jesus to lay his hands on the deaf man. And Jesus takes him aside privately. He removes him from the crowd. He doesn't want an audience. He takes him aside and he's going to do something one-on-one with this deaf man who couldn't speak. And Jesus, you know, Mark is, is revealing something about Jesus. I said before that he's the Messiah. He's the one that Isaiah talked about. He's the one that the Old Testament proclaimed that would come. He's the Son of God and the Son of Man. He's the only one that could do these kinds of healings. The only one that could open the ears of the deaf and unloose the tongue. How would he do it? You know, how, how is Jesus... Revealing that he's the Messiah. Well, you know, he's going in. The, the primary point, we're going to talk about the details of the story and the weirdness of it and all that, but those are, the details aren't the primary point. The primary point is that Jesus is coming and he's, he's taking something back that belonged to him. This poor man, tortured by the effects of sin and Satan, has his, has his, his tongue shackled and his ears stopped. You know, it, it, was a, it was a real physical need ex, expressing that there's a, actually a, a, a bigger spiritual need. He's taking back what belongs to him. He's going into Satan's territory and he's wrenching control back. Saying that Satan actually never had control in the first place. And he's taking it back in kindness. This is an odd way to heal, isn't it? What would you say if you went to the doctor and he, uh, you took your deaf friend to the doctor and he put his fingers in his ear, he spit on his, his finger and touched his tongue, uh, what would you say to that? 
Well, it just, it reminds us again that we're offended and we're scandalized by some of these things because we live in the 21st century, right? And we're thankful for modern medicine. And, and I would, you know, I would be weirded out by a doctor doing that too. But Jesus is not a 21st century doctor. He's God in the flesh. And, and God is coming to man. God is coming to man as, as his only hope of getting healed, as his only hope of hearing and, and having his tongue loosed. And, and Jesus is, is using, he's not using modern medicine, he's using his power as the son of God. We don't need to be offended by this. Friends, this was an enacted parable. You know, Jesus was communicating with a guy who couldn't hear him. He couldn't speak to him. And here Jesus is coming and acting this, this parable uh, and communicating with this man in a way that he could understand. He was, you know, he was using a physical touch, which was a kindness. The physical touch, I, I'm quoting Edwards in the Gospel of Mark. Physical touch is an expression of Jesus' compassion. Love seeks intimacy. And the touch of Jesus is a tangible prelude of the fellowship that believers experience with him through faith. Jesus is going, he's, he's resting back control from Satan. That's not even the right word. He already has control. But he's redeeming back. He's making all things new. And this is just a taste of that. He has compassion on this man who couldn't hear, he couldn't speak. And Jesus, the Messiah, is, he's rolling in, he's coming in, and, and he's, he's healing this man with a touch. And Isaiah 3, 5, and 6. So, so Isaiah 3, 35, 5, and 6, excuse me. Isaiah 35, 5, and 6 actually uses this word that uh, Mark uses. I'm not even, he uses it as uh, for the mute man, the man, the, the man with, a, with a, 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 tongue, a tongue that was shackled. Isaiah 35, 5 and 6 says this, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. This is, this is when God is going to come in and he's going to confront the evil. This is when Messiah is coming. He shall open the eyes, the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute, that's the word he uses in, in Mark, shall sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The physical, friends, this physical healing of Jesus is just a sign of the spiritual. It's that he's, he's coming not only to unstop physical ears, he, he's coming to unstop spiritual ears so they can hear the word of the Lord and be saved. He's going to loose tongues to proclaim and confess that Jesus is Lord. You know, just in the next chapter, Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And do you remember what Peter says? You are the Christ. You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus has come not only to do physical healings, but primarily to do spiritual healings. Peter will have his ears open and his tongue loose to proclaim the gospel. He will do this, not just for Peter, but for people 
like Peter, for people like this deaf man who've been brought to Jesus, to, the, to his feet, to have his hands laid on them. He will do this for you. Maybe you are not a Christian this morning. Maybe you've been thinking through what all this religion thing means. It is, friend, it is by grace alone. Just like this man being healed from, from his deafness and from his, from his speech impediment. This is how salvation is. It's through grace, by grace alone, through faith alone. So I encourage you, because Jesus went on to fulfill everything that we needed, he went on to, to die on the cross for your sin, to, to, raise, to rise again from the dead, to ascend to heaven. He's completed everything that you need. And he can offer that grace alone to you Will you believe? Will you repent of your sins and believe? That's, that's what he's calling us to. It's not a perfect belief. It's not a perfect repentance that he's asking for. It is, it is having the eyes of faith to see that what Jesus, who Jesus is and what he will do for you. Friend, it's not the amount of your faith that matters. It's not the quality of your faith. It's not how much you believe, how big your belief is. It's the object of your faith that will save you. And that is Jesus Christ, him alone. So what does this mean for us as uh, Christians? Us as a local church, the branch. Friends, I I think it means for us that uh, we, like Jesus, should be welcoming the outsider. Uh, into our personal lives, yes. Into our assembly, yes. What, is that, what does that look like among us? What, what does it look like for, for, for you to take the gospel to those who aren't like you? Friends, I, 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 think, it means, I think it means knowing your neighbors, Every one of us has neighbors, whether you're in the dorms or whether uh, you're in a neighborhood like I am. All of us have some sort of neighbors. And most of them do not believe this. Most of them don't even know that this is still being taught in churches like this. How are are we welcoming them? How, How are we opening conversations up, having them over to dinner, bringing them a a, a Halloween basket. I think it's called booing people. Sounds terrible, but you you know. Uh, By inviting them for a meal, by by checking in on them when, when you haven't seen them for a while. God wants us to be on mission with him. And our mission is to, to love and welcome the outsider and give them the good news of the gospel that will unstop their ears. Friends, when we do this, when we do acts of kindness for people in our city and and with the ultimate goal of giving them the gospel, of telling them about Jesus Christ and what he's done, when we do this, we're, we're pushing back the darkness. 
But Jesus is pushing it back. We're showing them the Messiah who's pushing back the darkness. These little ways of faith, of, 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 of giving money to missionaries. You know, there will be a, a missionary offering. I don't know if we've participated in the past, but the, the, uh, the Southern Baptist Convention, the, the association that we're a part of, takes an offering up for international missions. Uh, th- think about ways that you can contribute to that. Th- think about ways that you can uh, contribute to and, and bless Trevor and Nivea while they're here. Think about, think about maybe God is calling you to international missions. So maybe he might be calling you to, to move a, a, a across the oceans and take the gospel to where it's not been told recently. Jesus is the ultimate missionary. He's gone to the outsiders. He's, he's, brought, in, he's brought grace to people. And we see that it is this grace, by grace, through faith, that we come and we receive this compassion and mercy of Jesus. It is, it is all we have, church, is this gospel to take forth and, and, and to proclaim to the nations that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and the Son of Man. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would use your word to do your work among us. I pray that you would give us the faith and repentance that we need. We know that you are full of grace. I pray that you would draw our hearts towards you in love. Like this woman who saw you as merciful. That you would help us to believe that there is mercy reserved for us. That your, your mercy goes forth into, uh, onto mission and, and it, it gives itself up to others. Help us to remember that you alone can do the work of salvation and that you are doing it now. You are building your church now and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So, Help us, Father, to, to, to do all of these things as a means of remembering and proclaiming and worshiping you.